Welcome to Lifting Leaders Podcast, where we are unleashing leader possibilities to make a better world. I'm Crystal Roberts, and together with Trisha Ryan, we're diving deeper into some of the complexities of the world's most critical challenges and exploring innovative ways of navigating through them. Through interviews with experts and leaders just like you, we're exploring what it takes to thrive as a leader today and examining new ways of thinking about how to creatively lead into a more equitable, socially responsible, and sustainable future. And the future starts now. Hi, Crystal. Crystal? Crystal? Oh, that's right. It's Trisha, and Crystal's not here today. In fact, Crystal has just spent weeks and weeks getting ready for and implementing an amazing 25th anniversary celebration for International Coaching Federation Washington. And she deserves a little time off. So we're giving her a rest this weekend. And I'm going to give it a rest this weekend too, but not until I tell you that we're going to be posting an episode that we did a while back with Jack Schlosser. And we really feel like it is such a good episode for right now. Um, Jack talked about, you know, the red threads and in, in, in your career and making shifts. And this is that time of year when people may be either thinking about, if I stay, what do I want my next year to look like? And what do I want to get out of it? And what do I want to give into it? And then If you're not thinking about staying in the same place, you're thinking about maybe moving into something new, whether it's a different type of work or just a different organization, what does that look like? And so we think this episode with Jack Schlosser will be really helpful for you, and we hope you enjoy it. Take good care and have a great week. Bye. Today, we have an incredible guest, Jack Schlosser, joining us. Jack is going to share with us some of the many lessons he has learned over his 50-year career about leadership, career, transition, and hope. But before we dive in, here's a little more about Jack. And listeners, do sit back and soak this in. Like I said, Jack has a 50-year career that keeps on going. And there are so many achievements. I couldn't read them all, but I did want to try and do it some justice. So here we go. As founder and principal at Desert Vista Advisors, Jack provides advisory support and executive coaching to individual leaders, management teams, and organizations. His experience combines his passion for consulting and executive coaching with over three decades as a partner with international executive search and leadership consulting firms. He is certified as an executive coach by the Hudson Institute of Coaching in Santa Barbara, California, and a life fellow in the American College of Healthcare Executives. Previously, he served as a consultant at Spencer Stewart, where he specialized in CEO, board, and senior level executive management assignments in the healthcare industry. During his search career, he conducted more than 400 CEO, board director, COO, CFO, CMO, and other top management searches for clients, including healthcare providers, physician organizations, academic, medical centers, payers, associations, and professional service firms. Acknowledged by his Spencer Stewart colleagues for high quality work on behalf of his clients, Jack received the firm's prestigious Lou Rieger Quality Award, not once, but five times. Prior to entering the executive search profession, Jack's career spanned several segments of healthcare, 
where he held senior roles. Earlier in his career, Jack was a consultant and manager with a big eight accounting firm. Jack is active in the industry, is a former regent of the American College of Healthcare Executives, and served as chair of the ACHE Consultants Forum. A noted expert on leadership, governance, and career success, Jack's expertise has been featured in articles on career management and corporate governance in leading trade publications, such as Trustee, Modern Healthcare, Healthcare Executive, and the Journal of Healthcare Management. He regularly speaks at industry events and in university settings. Jack received a Master of Public Health from the University of California, Los Angeles, and was inducted into the Epsilon Phi Delta Honor Society in recognition of his efforts to promote strong leadership in the industry. He is the first individual to receive both the Leadership Award and the Ira Alpert Service Award from the UCLA Health Policy and Management Alumni Association. He also serves on the Board of Partners and Care Foundation, as well as the Charles Drew University School of Medicine Dean's Advisory Committee. His latest achievement, he was just recently named Executive in Residence at the UCLA Center for Healthcare Management for the 2022-2023 academic year. That's a lot of accolades and represents someone who has really made a difference in the world. On a personal note, I've known Jack since we were in executive coach certification training at the Hudson Institute of Coaching back in 2019. We've been in a learning group focused on coaching ever since. I know Jack to be a wise, kind, super creative guy with a lot of amazing ideas, energy, and a huge heart. He has a lot of curiosity and is always looking to learn something new. He has warmth and depth, but most of all, he's a humble person. In our group, he'll say, well, you know, you, you could think about it this way. And then you think, of course, why didn't I think of that? But Jack's great experience uh, definitely helps us move in the right direction. So he has a great, also great sense of humor and brings a lot of laughter to our conversations. So thank you, Jack, for being here. Um, I also want to let our listeners know you haven't heard from Trisha. That's because she wasn't able to join us today. She is out, um, but she'll be back with us next time. So Jack, before we dive in, anything that you would like to say to kick us off? Well, just uh, I'm a little embarrassed by that long introduction. <laughs> thank you. And really looking forward. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. I've been enjoying the podcasts leading up to this. And I hope that uh, this proves uh, interesting and worthwhile for your listeners. And I've been really looking forward to it and talking with you, Crystal. Well, we've been excited to hear and learn from you from such such a deep experience that you've, you've had. And, and I'm so glad that you're here to share it with us. So I know this is a hard question, but we'll start with our standard question, which is tell us your story. Okay, that it's it's a great story, and I've heard other people tell theirs. And I thought, okay, what am I going to say? <laughs> Let me start with family. Uh, family has always been really important in in my life, and our our family was real tight and is tight. Um, and actually, I come from a pioneering family. My mm -hmm. on my mother's side, they were Norwegian farmers that homesteaded in South Dakota in the late eighteen hundreds, and on my dad's side. Uh, he was uh, uh, from Germany, uh, a craftsman, 
And he came over in the 1850s from Bavaria and actually was uh, uh, built wagon schooners, like for the wagon trains, you know? And oh, wow. Heading west. And after the Civil War, he moved out to the Dakota Territory and was out there. And that's when my, that was my great-great-grandfather, my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my, my dad, my mother, my grandmother. They were all born there in South Dakota. Hmm. And then World War II came. Uh, my dad went off to war. He came back, went to school in California, fell in love with California. So we settled in Los Angeles. And that's where uh, I came in. And uh, I was actually born in Northern, but raised in Southern. Um, probably the most, and I believe, Crystal, you may know this, the big thing when I was growing up between junior high and college was pretty much surfing. Growing up in Southern California, yeah. in Los Angeles, we would go to the beach and just have a great time. And I know I was worrying my father greatly because at one point I think I said to him, why would any do what any why would anybody do anything other than what I'm doing right now? Surfing. And yeah. Like yeah. Totally, <laughs> totally naive, but but it was how I honestly felt. So I, I went to college uh and I selected a school to go to a small school in, in San Diego called Cal Western at the time. And it was on the Sunset Cliffs. Now it's Point Loma College. And uh, there I met my wife during the first week. And it turns out she was like a straight A student and was very much into studying. And it was probably a major break for me because my my surfing skills deteriorated, but my grades oh. went up. And uh, <laughs> we married our, our senior year. Oh. And that was uh, the beginning of really, in many ways, growing up. I, I was now married and I said, okay, uh, what am I going to do? And my undergrad was in uh, interdepartmental social psych and philosophy. And that's, those were the courses I really enjoyed. Mm. And I wasn't sure what to do with. I just was taking the courses that I was drawn to. But then I heard about hospital administration as a, as a, as a field. And that suited me on a number of fronts we could talk about later as appropriate. But I ended up uh, working in a hospital. So I had my undergrad, but I took a entry-level job in a hospital to see what and learn about hospital administration, was accepted at UCLA in the master's program, went up to UCLA, spent two years there, and then interestingly was hired back at the little community hospital where mm -hmm. I had worked in the receiving area and the central supply. Yeah. Um, and and so I spent three and a half years doing that. Mm -hmm. But early on, I there was something that told me that there was something else out there. And so that's when I ended up telling the CEO, and I don't advise everybody to do this, but I basically said to the CEO, I've watched what you, what you do, and I've concluded, I don't want to do what you do when I'm your age. That's like a quote. Oh, and, wow. And it was an honest statement. And uh, I, you know, his reaction initially was like, what are you telling me? But I basically was saying, I'm going to, I'm going to go find something else. And I didn't know what I was going to find, but I went and I looked at some larger hospitals and then I, I, uh, I was uh, asked to join Coopers and Librand in the planning group. So all of a sudden I went from a small community hospital to working at the University of Michigan and the replacement hospital. It was like a postgraduate education mm. and uh, got interested in multi-hospital systems during that period. Uh, make a long story short, joined a client after my first daughter was born. I wanted to get off the road and joined a hospital uh, system, spent nine years doing that. And then in the late 80s, uh, actually on the date of 8888, which a lot of people say is one of the luckiest days of the uh, century, huh. I started a job in an executive search, spent 30 years 
and that industry. And I found that when I got there, uh, I had found my home in terms of the thing that spoke. To, I had kind of prepared myself for that and everything leading up to it. But that was the thing that I really enjoyed and have enjoyed that side of consulting with with individuals. And now I've segued into my next chapter, which you described, which is coaching, as well as I'm really looking forward to this executive residence at uh, UCLA. So in a nutshell, that's that's uh, my background. Yeah, and definitely some patterns there, some themes around just really loving staying in that lane around the public health and serving in that way. And I think it's it is a it is service. It is public service to be in that that field. It's it's a tough field to be in. Um, just so so much um, so much change going on there. Um, and so much pressure, I think. I think particularly today, um, you know, we can talk further about that, but the uh, those individuals on the front line, the people that go into healthcare, I found, it's one of the reasons I, I've stayed interested, are they go, most of them go in because they want to serve in some way. And I've met yeah. some most amazing people uh, at all levels, from housekeepers on up to, you know, board members of, of organizations. And there's a common thread: physicians, the clinician, you know, the uh, at the bedside, the the nurses and and the nurses assistants. There, so many people are there because they want to help mankind. And I, so yeah. I found, it, and it's a huge industry with very just a ton of complexity. So there's there's almost something for everybody uh, yeah. interested. And I I like the fact that it was um, it was somewhat insular from the standpoint of you would get to know people and you could maintain your relationships and and grow them. And it's just a huge industry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. So when you think about your career and you think about this sort of progression that you've made, how do you define success as a leader? That's another uh, great question. And it's one I've I've actually spent a fair amount of time thinking about and, uh, and talking to people about it. And I think it comes down to the end of the day, uh, the most important consideration is how you view your own success. It's, and success and satisfaction are almost one of the same. How, how do you feel, how do you feel about your success? And if you're not feeling successful or satisfied, is there something you should do? And that's a that's a common theme as well, not only in my own career, but in the careers of many of the people I've spoken with through the years, some that aggressively push the envelope when they're dissatisfied or don't feel that they've had the success they want, and others that that uh, uh, are lower key about it. But for me, it, it's it's something that's constantly changing too. So early on, success is uh, something as simple as getting into school. It's getting that, that job I got, the first job as a central supply attendant in that first hospital, I felt really successful because I somehow landed that job that gave me an in- intro into the industry. Uh, over time, it, it's, it also starts to kind of morph a little bit. Uh, how's your compensation? How's your compensation related to uh, your peers? Are you satisfied with your compensation? Are you satisfied with the kind of organization you're with? Is the culture a nice fit? And all those things go into uh, a discussion around success. And, you know, there are external 
metrics that people can compare one to. Um, but if, as an example, if you're with a large multinational company, but you prefer to stay in a certain region and to move up in the corporate ladder, you're required to move to Cincinnati or Chicago or someplace that you're not particularly interested in moving to. Yeah. Uh, somebody might say, well, there, that other person went, so are they more successful? I would argue, no, be, not, not if it was your choice and if you followed the path that you wanted to follow. So success is very personal, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's just so true. Um, I was just thinking, I work with so many clients who struggle with that. So they they define what success is and they feel like they have to be married to that. And part of what of the work I do with them is to try and unravel where did that come from? Where did that definition that they've created for themselves come from around what success is? And to be more flexible, like you're talking about, to say, okay, success might look like this in your 20s and that in your 30s. And by the time you're 50, it's going to look completely different. And so we need to be flexible in how we define success. And that like to exactly what you said, you success for you may be that you stayed in one place and made that work for you versus which made, you know, your career might have actually stalled a little bit because of that. You might not continue to get the actual promotions, but for you, you wanted to be home and be able to see, you know, your kid's soccer game every night. That's success. But to be able to let go of that, those, those changing definitions of success, I totally agree. And that's what brings happiness. Right. And I've talked talked to many people that, you know, And and there are there are portions of a of a career where you might say, right now, success to me is making sure that I can be the caregiver to my parent that happens yeah. to be ill. It may be that I, like you said, that I can come home for lunch and stay connected with my my kids, my family, and, and so I want to stay in a certain geography. All those kinds of things come yeah. into play, and of course. The uh, most recent chapter we've all gone through with the pandemic has also, I think, thrown uh, a lot of twists and turns in terms of that whole definition. I think a lot of people are truly rethinking, you know, what is success and happiness? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's, that is, that's a really huge, that's a huge thing. So um, you, you often describe a career as a marathon and what does that mean to you? So, uh, yes, I, I do. And uh, I started thinking about it, that that the a career begins when you start and it's not over till you're done. And so it literally goes on until you say it's over. And uh, I, I, w- I really became interested in this when I would do a series of panels. Actually, it, it started with the uh, the health forum at uh, UCLA, where I would interview local, you know, Southern California-based executives that have been successful, and I asked them their story, basically their story. What were the decisions they made, the obstacles they ran into, how they overcame obstacles, the the kinds of things that 
they can share about their own journey that perhaps people can learn from. And, and then uh, we took that actually on the road to the American College and had a national audience on it. And it's just been something that fascinates me. So I guess my point is that a career is not linear. You get a lot of twists and turns. There are times and highs and lows, and there uh, it's a journey. And and the the average person has twelve jobs in their career, mm-hmm. and they they change their focus of their career three to seven times over the course of their career. And I think that that is only going to increase. And so you there are times in a career where you you have to go fast or you can go fast and you choose to go fast. Other times, as we were talking about, that you may slow down, tread water. Uh, there are times when you hit obstacles. And uh, in fact, there's a real good quote. Let me see if I, yeah. So I like this one by Winston Churchill. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. And we're all on a journey and we're on a journey and you're, mm-hmm. we're not a journey in life. And we're on a journey in our careers and trying to uh, manage plan. I'm a planner by nature. I like to plan. Uh, I always like kind of like to look around the corner. Where am I going? Where's the industry going? Uh, And what do I need to do to keep my options open? I always recommend it to people. Keep a couple of options, you know, contingency plan in case your current chapter changes or you, you lose interest or for whatever reason you need to go in a different direction. Yeah. But it takes a, a interesting paths, twists and turns, and you ultimately look back and then you say, that was my career. Yeah. Well, and I think you've redefined it. <laughs> you know, watching you, it's like you've redefined that career can go on, you know, and and just coming and serving in a totally different way. You know, as you think about your board work, um, that you do now. And I know you have a lot of other things and we'll talk a little bit about them, whatever you're willing to divulge, but a lot of other things cooking, you know, and it's, it's a career and it has just, it's shifted over time. And I love the fact that you're still serving people. It looks different than what it did, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago, but you're still serving people. And Thank you. I think it's so it's so valuable and we need it in the world. We need people to not disengage, to re-engage, to say, hey, yeah, this portion of my career might be over, but you know, it's sort of redefining retirement. What does retirement actually look like? I can still contribute at a really high level. Doesn't mean I'm working, you know, a hundred hours a week, but yeah. I have a lot to share and I'm not just gonna check out. I actually, we had another guest on um. Uh, Elizabeth Levitt, if anybody wants to go back and actually listen to that episode, but she also, she's a new retiree. Um, but she said she about a year into it, um, she'd kind of gone through her list of stuff and she realized, you know, and hearing she's in the environmental field and just hearing all this stuff about climate. Of course, she'd been hearing about climate change for a long time, but you just, it's just so much out there. And she realized I'm not done. I've got all this experience. I've got all this wisdom to share. And so she's jumped back in. She's defined what that looks like for her that works for her in, in her life right now. And she's still serving. And I, I love that. I think it's just so important. Yeah. Thank you. And, and you know, it's 
for me, uh, even this little announcement that went out about the UCLA uh, executive and residents, it's been energizing for me to see, you know, LinkedIn's just an amazing thing. And, and some people I haven't heard from for a long time reached yeah. out and said, you know, glad to see you're still doing things and you're still part of the industry. And it was energizing for me. And it's yeah. different. It's a different form. But, um, you know, I would encourage, you know, your listeners that as they go through their different chapters of their own career to keep an open mind and, and most important, keep in touch with yourself yeah. as to how you're feeling about what you're doing. And we can talk a little bit about that. Uh, but it's I think it's really important to to stay in touch with yourself. And uh, it doesn't mean that if if you're not totally happy, you need to move that moment or recognize if you are happy and just take note of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And this kind of gets a little bit to the pacing question about does pacing, how does pacing play a role? When do you know that it's time to move on? Right. And, and <laughs> so, I mean, there are, there are certain, um, almost like a checklist you can go through. I mean, just an example, how's my enthusiasm for my job now? How does it compare to how I felt last year uh, and the year before? Um, how's my opportunity for advancement? Do, is this something, I mean, if that's what I want, do I have options? Are there, is there potential for advancement? Um, how about my compensation level? And that, that's right now, uh, especially in healthcare, there, this is a big tension point where there are a lot of people that are, you know, on the front lines that have just been hammered that uh, are ha having a tough time, you know, with the, with the compensation level for what they've been through. When you've got nurses that, have yes. been able to leave the hospital to go see their family because they didn't have the staff and they have to see the patient. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that going on. And yet yeah. they're, they're, the, the interesting thing about healthcare too, and we'll talk more perhaps later, but the, the people that go into it and are still wanting to go into it um, be, for that to serve is really inspiring. But that's one, you know, compensation, is that out of balance? The um, If the culture or the direction of the company changes, and you perhaps like the culture before, and it's changing. And and cultures like it, everything is constantly yeah. moving. Cultures change, so um, be aware of that. And and, and a real asset test is your annual re review. Assuming you're getting annual reviews, yeah. How is that compared? Are they still thinking of me in the same way they did last year, the year before? Is my stock going up or down? Um, am I in denial if if it's going down? And then on the other hand, you know, I, as a child, I don't play this game anymore, except with my grandchildren, I red light, green light. And I've used that as mm -hmm. an, an analogy. Mm -hmm. If it's a green light and you're getting uh, positive vibes, things are going well, you may have some mentors, it's, you like the company. Those are times when you can get the breakthroughs. On the other hand, if you're starting to see uh, some of the negatives come in, that's a time when you may want to reconsider. And, and I have also used the analogy of be careful not to be the frog that is, mm. you know, in the water that boils that yeah. it's worse each year, but you, you don't go into that discomfort zone to make the move. And yeah. again, you can time it, whatever, but I just say, be true to yourself, know where, where you're at, and then you're in charge of your own career. That's the other nice thing. Yeah. Is you, you, you have the free will to 
pick up and go if you need to or stay. Um, and I, but I, my own personal feeling is that uh, the quiet quitting is is not good for either party uh, long term. You know, if, if you're at an organization and it's not going well, I think uh, the spirit of it, I would I would take a close look at that and reconsider if it's the right place for you. Yeah, that's a whole nother can of worms, isn't it? The yes, quiet it quitting. Big one. Big one. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we could go, we could go on to that, but I but think, I add one thing, oh, go ahead. Uh, just one other thing about leaving and that is um, keep in mind that, that uh, again, your career is a marathon and the people that you connect with through your career um, can, can be positive and negative, negative forces in your career. And so it's ideal to maintain relationships and not burn bridges and, and have good references because someday somebody may say, well, you know, when you were working there, could I speak to people that you worked with? And it's nothing like getting glowing references to help also uh, uh, have you gain like, increased momentum in your career. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and like you were saying, the most important piece is staying in touch with you. What do you really need? Yeah. And listening to that and then being willing to be uncomfortable um, and yeah. getting, getting outside that comfort zone to push the envelope and to try something, try something new, whatever that is, um, right. but you were never stuck. Um, there's always, there's always an option. I think the other advice that somebody gave me was also just to also give yourself some grace. Like nothing's ever wasted. That was the other thing was, yeah, that, you know, thinking about, um, it may, you want to obviously move when you need to move, but also sometimes it feels like if you haven't gotten a promotion or something like that, that you think all this work was wasted and it wasn't, it wasn't, it will come back around. You learned something you're going to be taking all that with you into your next opportunity. And you don't know yet, maybe how that will show up, but almost always when we look back, we see that there was some value in that. That is whoever gave you that advice. That's fantastic. I (laughs) totally agree. Yeah. Yep. So when you think about this movement that people need to make, these transitions that they experience, and we all experience them throughout our careers. So what's important for leaders to be thinking about during these transitions? Well, um, in transitions, just so that I'm uh, focused on this, transitions in terms of of their own interests or transitions from one company to another, or which transition are we, we talking about? Any of that. So when when you're moving from one one thing to another, mm-hmm. um, one job to another, it could be within the company. Yep. But yeah, like thinking about how do you how do you do that successfully? That's a great question and a, a complex one uh, for the answer. Um, well, first of all, if you are if you're within a company and you're being promoted into uh, a new role. Take a moment and celebrate because internal yeah. promotions are really uh, uh, to be celebrated yeah. uh, because that's saying you know we we know you we are we want you here and we want to give you more responsibility and so uh, and there's 
that that also needs uh, like any any of these roles need from middle managers up to the CEOs, whatever, great interpersonal skills. Because if you are in fact being promoted inside an organization, you may very well be leaving some friends behind. You may be moving quote above them in terms of the, mm-hmm. the hierarchy. Um, and and how that is managed. I mean, I remember early in my career, uh, I got a promotion and there was an older gentleman that had been actually my mentor. And he, he was he was shocked. He was he, you know, it was they didn't include him. They they saw me as kind of the up and comer. And so I I could tell he was he was hurt. And so yeah. we had a conversation and I and it was just a fantastic conversation because he realized I wasn't trying to knock him off in any way. I, they, they asked me, he knew I was up. And by the end of the conversation, he said, you know, go for it. Fantastic. Because in that, again, important to have good communication, honest communication. And, and in terms of, of leaders today, um, the importance of having sincere, honest communication with your employees and your teammates is so critical because the organizations they they know when somebody's real and when they're not and Mm -hmm. the coconut wireless in organizations is amazing you know good and bad and so um whether it's a promotion or whether you're leaving an organization sometimes organizations have trouble if you're leaving then they feel rejected and so again trying to manage that although you can't be held hostage if if a good opportunity I spent 30 years recruiting people out of organizations. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, uh, you know, with the blessing of the organization, sometimes not. But it uh, again, you tried your best to uh, be fair and honest with each other. And uh, again, without if you could avoid burning bridges and still allow your own career to move forward, that's a good formula. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that's kind of what comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, um, these are these are tough things, right? And, and it depends on the situation. Um, and, and it depends on the culture of the, of the organization. Um, I worked with, um, a couple of folks that had come into an organization where I was working and they were talking about the organization they had left and they couldn't, they couldn't tell that organization because if anybody got wind that they were actually, looking for another opportunity that was it they were out mm-hmm. like they literally said i don't trust you anymore you're gone and i was like wow that's pretty harsh that's so a harsh and that's like, right. a culture that yeah. you know that type of culture will have a difficult time and difficult times because uh you know mentoring and the the uh the nurturing of of teammates and and working together is so important and that, that you you don't get loyalty and loyalty we don't hear a lot about loyalty but if yeah. somebody is is enjoying working with with a team and feels respected and rewarded uh there's less likelihood that they will look around the corner and leave and i and you know everybody's better off if there's uh, a good relationship between the organization and the employees and and trust is really critical and great communications is critical. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that leaders can do? So thinking about it from the perspective of 
um, the leader. So, and the leader helping somebody make a transition either out of their group or into their group, anything that leaders should be mindful of or do to help that be more successful? Yeah, I, I think that, uh, first of all, uh, welcoming individuals in, bringing them in, I think it, it has to do in a great way with uh, uh, how we even view leadership today. Uh, you know, the it, it's changed so much from, yeah. from the historical authoritarian, uh, you know, leader to 20 years ago, the talk of servant leader. Uh, which moved more from, you know, the team serving the leader, but the leader serving the team. But that still was about the leader. Today, I, the 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 real direction I think is in the interconnectedness of everything and the importance of teamwork. Where uh, uh, the most successful leaders over the long haul are those that uh, that recognize what their own limitations are, are honest about it. They build trust with with their teammates. They they honor their teammates whether they are coming into the team new as you're talking about or they're part of the team. And there's this honest flow of communication that bonds the whole team. And there's this great book uh, that people should you know perhaps check out. Uh, maybe do a test on Kindle. It's called Ambitious, and it it is a, a book that com that is written by a professor at Trinity that combines the uh, the words humble and ambitious. And it basically, uh, his research says and calls out that over the long hauls, those leaders that admit their limitations, recognize them, are in touch with them and empower their teams are the ones that do the best. And so I, I would say that just along the continuum of, of onboarding employees into new roles, or if somebody's leaving, maintaining that honesty together, maintaining the the uh, the caring. I mean, I I was reading a, an article today actually about what organizations can do to limit the uh, the quiet quitting. And as I read read down the list of things, I said, well, that's great if you really mean it, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, express concern about, you know, ask them about how the family is and whatever. And I thought, well, if that's being honest, that's great. On the other hand, if it's just you're doing this as a checklist because <laughs> that's what corporate said, you know, that's yeah. not so yeah. uh, that's a kind of a long roundabout way to answer your question. But I think it does come back to honesty and communication. Yeah, yeah, and that genuineness, like you were talking about, boy, that whole piece about a checklist is just not it's it's not the way to go <laughs> people like you said people read through that you know they know what's 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 honesty what's true connection what's authenticity they feel that you can't read a book about that or check the box yeah when the when the employees are saying you know i'm not drinking the kool-aid it's because somebody doesn't believe that what was being said was was sincere and yeah that's a that's a, a fragile situation for whoever's in that kind of a situation. Yeah. Yep. All right. So we're going to switch gears just a little bit here and focus on the healthcare industry and of which you have such deep knowledge and expertise in. So the healthcare industry was in crisis before the pandemic 
And of course, the pandemic exponentially increased the stress on the system. What gives you hope for this critical industry? We're all relying on it. All right. Wow. Uh, we've all been living it. I mean, all of us, everybody that's listening here, everybody we know, we've all been through a period that is so unique. Uh, it's just something that uh, my daughter's a physician. And I remember at the beginning of the of uh, the, the pandemic and COVID, she said, I knew when I signed up for medical school, I knew I might see something like this. I just didn't think it was going to happen. And yeah. it it was a real sobering, real sobering call I had with her. But the industry itself, it, it, it cannot not do well. It has to do well. Uh, it cannot fail. Uh, it's essential to all of us. And and there's so many, so many uh, things to consider. Just think of the scale. The healthcare is at 19% of the United States GDP. Over $4 trillion are spent on healthcare in 2020. Um, and we're all potential clients. And we want a... A, a, a healthcare industry that is vibrant. Um, and we've got within the United States, speaking of the United States here, we have absolute treasures of organizations. Think about it. The world-renowned institutions, Mayo Clinic, Cedars-Sinai, UCLA, UCSF, Cleveland Clinic, Children's LA, City of Hope. You can go on in every major city uh, and every state has fantastic organizations that are serving the needs and also the critical access hospitals that, that care for the local communities. So we've been through this and we've got challenges right now in terms of the numbers of people. There's a shortage, just like there are shortages in the, the restaurants and the hotels, and there's a shortage. And, and what's more complicated in healthcare is that there's licensing involved and training involved. Mm, yeah. So uh, I read somewhere that that on the nursing shortage, they're concerned that by 2000, 25, there may be a, a, a shortage of over 2 million nurses. Oh my goodness. It's not because the people are not interested in going into it. It's it's because they don't have the faculty or the or the 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 practice site, the clinical practice sites for them for the students to go. They the wow. it's encouraging that there's the interest. Same with physicians. The uh the actually the enrollments and the applications are sky high for uh, medical school yeah. and because again the uh, one silver lining is the pandemic brought the importance of public health and health care to the to everybody we all knew it but in, in in spades and so so there are challenges but so what to your question brings me hope and i go back to uh basically the uh the people that are in the industry mm -hmm. and i i i i've it's one of the reasons like i said earlier that I've stayed in healthcare. Um, it's a, it's just the, the there's a lot of volunteers. There's a lot of fantastic organizations, but it's the people literally from the bedside housekeepers that are view themselves because they are a part of a, a care team to yeah. all the way up to the board of directors. Um, and there's compassion at, at all levels. There's a sense of purpose. Um, and, and there's also innovation. We're seeing that telemedicine is a great tool. Um, it We need to work out the finances of it because not every insurance company pays for it, but it has proved itself as an innovative tool. And the same with the digital enabled experience 
and move towards consumer-oriented healthcare. And there's a thing called the um, social determinants of health. That's a that this is a new area that is growing increasingly uh, high in focus, which is basically there's a group of partners in care here in Los Angeles that is a pioneer in it. And it basically focuses on those things that that we can do to keep people healthy and out of the hospital. And mm -hmm. so that will lower costs and relieve relieve some of the pressure, but it's complicated. Yeah. I, I bring it back to a combination of innovation, the reality that we can't not fix it. It has to be fixed. Yeah. And the people involved. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I at the core of it, like you said, is the people. And and what a group of people that have that are just so dedicated and so so giving and compassionate, like you said. So when you have those kind of people coming together and working to make things better, they can't do it alone. They need us to support them in that. But it's a great place to start. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Jack, looking back over your 50 year career, what do you know to be true? Uh, first of all, that I'm not good with numbers. Uh, <laughs> so I've survived. I, I found a, a, a bigger strength and a bigger interest was basically dealing with people. I, yeah. I, I was I, early in my career, actually, when I was thinking about healthcare or not healthcare, a friend of ours connected me with a bond trader. I look back. Oh, no. <laughs> and and uh, uh, we had lunch and I quickly concluded, I'm sure he did, that I would have lost a lot of people, a lot of money. <laughs> I wouldn't have lasted a week. But yeah. uh, but anyway, I so it's, I, I kind of found my niche. And it's one of the things I know is, is know your strengths and the things that you enjoy and, uh, and if possible, pursue those. Uh, also, uh, the one constant is change. I mean, that is absolutely... Uh, the constant and and uh, we are constantly pivoting in life and in our careers because nothing's linear. It's not straightforward. You know, you start with a plan and then you get thrown a a, a curveball. My my father used to have a, a phrase, of, you know, go with the flow. And you have at times you have to go with the flow because if you just try to fight every every change or every surprise, you get exhausted pretty quick and and probably don't have as much progress. So. Um, having some grounding in something uh, beyond your your career, mm. faith, family, personal interest is a good thing to have. And it's particularly important during difficult times because it's something that can ground us. And so I think that's an important thing. Yeah. And uh, a reminder that that storms don't last forever. You know, things, yeah. you know. I, I like to golf and I my, I was telling my daughter, she reminded me of this, that when we're having a bad round or whatever, we sometimes say, you know, this won't last forever. The game will, the, the swing will come back somehow. And that's true that when we're in a difficult situation and what you met, uh, mentioned it earlier, could be a, a challenge at work or whatever, that that it won't last forever. And and also, nor do the, the things to celebrate. I mean, yeah. the 
you know, we we uh, talked one day about in my surfing days, the, you know, the ideal is to hang Ken on a longboard or be in the barrel on a shortboard. And that's the ultimate. It doesn't last, you know, it'll, it'll be here and then gone. And also in the same session, you might also wipe out, you know, yeah. <laughs> at the office, you may feel you're in the barrel and then you wipe out, but the reality is it's constantly changing and you'll, you'll get back to that. Yeah. Um, another thing I would say is there are so many undiscovered stars. There's, there are leaders, mm. there are leaders that are listening in right now. I'm sure that, that are, they can step up and are stepping up in whatever industry they're in or whatever they're doing. And, uh, and I, I, that's, that's an encouraging thing for me because uh, I am just always amazed at the resilience of people and the quality of people that are out there. And it's, mm -hmm. it's the key is, is knowing kind of what makes them tick as people, you know, what, what, what's important to them and meeting them on, on, on that front is I think something that we'd all benefit from doing more of, um, you know, just recognizing that there are fantastic people and there's a lot of people that are just, you know, you don't hear of them, but they're out there doing wonderful things. So those are some of the things that come to mind. Uh, what else? That, th those are kind of the ones that I, uh, I guess I, I, we said it before, I'll just reiterate it. The most important judge in terms of success is yourself. Just uh, yeah. back to that. I think it's really important to to say. Yeah, I love that. I love all of those, and I especially love the one where you were saying, "Find the stars." Like, and I think, like you said, everyone. If we take the time, everyone has a star within them, and we just have to find it and to and to sort of elevate that and and allow sometimes they don't even see it right that's the the great power of a mentor is to be able to see that star in somebody and elevate it for them so that they also can see it and we need we need everyone there are so many big issues and crises going on and that's one of the reasons that we started this podcast is cuz we we want leaders to really to do those things that you were just talking about. And, and one of those most important things is to look around them and say, who can I elevate? Who can, what barriers need to be broken? How do we tap into people's strengths? As you were saying, right. finding those strengths and then helping them to be successful. That's our job as leaders. And we need all of that. We can't have people sitting on the bench, quiet quitting because right. we won't be successful. Right. All of us as a community, as a world, we need to move this forward. And we need, we need leaders that are of today, that, that meet the yeah. challenges of today. You know, I've often thought when they started the astronaut program, it was amazing. You know, what were they looking for an astronaut, you know, because we'd never been to the moon or whatever. But yeah. sure they, they were looking for certain criteria. They had to be smart and, you know, not get claustrophobic. A lot of, so we have people that are in the organizations all over the country that are right for today, that can step up for today, that have the kind of communication skills that are needed today, and the willingness, importantly, like to your point, to step out and step up and have the courage to to lead. And we just need that. Yeah, we do. Yeah. 
and leadership looks different. I think that's the other thing we, like, like you said, the leader of today is not, does not look the same as the leader of the past and we need, so, so yeah, what, what a great way, um, to kind of close this part of this, this podcast to say, think about that. It's a call out. It's a challenge. We need leaders to step forward. Who's going to step forward and don't be, don't be caught back by what you think a leader should look like or act like, or be like, right. Yeah. Love that. Okay. So for you looking forward, what are you really excited about? Actually, there's a lot, a lot that I'm excited about. Uh, I'll start with uh, this new adventure, uh, beginning my role as the executive in residence at the UCLA Center for Healthcare Management. I, I'm kind of going back to school and I'm, mm-hmm. I expect to learn as much from the students as, as I can contribute to them. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm energized by that. And uh, it's uh, the, the center, just to give you a quick thumbnail, is it's designed, it, it, it's, it's really a forum to bring together academic researchers, students, executives, practitioners, uh, to advance healthcare management. So these are, this is a place where, and one of the things that we do, there's a case study competition, a national case study competition, looking for uh, solutions to current problems. So we work closely with the UCLA health system and they will come up with a, uh, an issue or a, a case or a challenge. And then people compete, you know, for cash prizes on, on wow. the solution. It, it's really, really cool. The center's only been in existence a few years and I'm really excited about being part of that. Um, and then uh, working, of course, with my current and, and future coaching clients. I really enjoy that. And I, I find that inspiring. And I, again, just uh, really have enjoyed my time with, with you, Crystal, and our others in our group. Um, I'm also at, in various stages of some creative writing projects, both some fictional, some, you know, based on kind of more business and uh, you know, it's too early to say where that's going to go, but I've had fun. Uh, it's a release for me. And I do, I'm doing some creative writing right now. Um, and then in terms of the world in general, uh, coming back to this again, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing who steps forward um, to take the baton of leadership, to inspire, to partner and to successfully lead their teams. Uh, you know, I, I really, it's an, I, it's an exciting future. And, you know, I've studied enough about leadership to know that pragmatic optimists are the ones that, that, that have mm-hmm. the most success in, in their careers. Mm-hmm. And you can't just, you can't just wish for things, but if, if you keep a positive attitude and then come up with plans and execute on those plans, great things can happen. And I, I'm confident that those new leaders are going to be coming coming forward. And I, I'm sure I'll meet some uh, at UCLA and and in the years upcoming. Absolutely. I was thinking what a gift it is that they have you and that you have this perspective and that you have this fresh um, energy around finding the new leaders, because that's what it's all about. And in this industry that needs them so desperately. So yeah, I'm wonderful. Well, I'm excited for your future. I'm glad that we get to continue to be friends and and grow together as coaches. That's I'm a lucky person there. And thank you for 
for showing up in the world as you do, because we, we need you. Thank you for being here today and taking your time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. That was such a great conversation. So inspiring with Jack. Let's keep the conversation going. If you have questions or comments about the show, you can find us on all our social media channels at lifting underscore leaders. There are so many exceptional podcasts coming up, more fantastic guests to be sure. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you know someone who would find this episode inspiring, share it with them, text them, email them, or take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram and tag us at lifting underscore leaders. If you'd like to know more about us, our guests, or the show, please go to our website at liftingleaderspodcast.com. You'll find show notes there as well. If you're looking for help in developing your leaders or would like a growth opportunity yourself through leader coaching, please contact us through our website. Thank you to Ari Chance Roberts for his technical support of our show. Lastly, please subscribe and rate our podcast. Thanks to our audience for listening. Find ways every day to lift each other up. Have a fantastic week.